just uh, it's just a joy to be here, and, and uh, I do want to thank all of you for inviting me to come. Now, let's take our Bibles this evening. I know that um, you folks want to get home sometime before breakfast. So, um, <laughs> hey, we took the clock down in the church I pastor. Took it, took it out. We remodeled the auditorium and and, and uh, the uh, trustees that oversaw all that. Uh, in the church, they said, where do you want to put the clock? And I said, nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. I don't want to be tied to a clock while I'm preaching. So the day we dedicated the auditorium, I went in and I looked up into the balcony into the where the sound system and, and the video stuff is all located. And I looked up and they had a big blackboard with white chalk and they had made a calendar. So we took the clock down, they put a calendar up. Does that tell you anything? Oh, I wasn't offended, no, not at all. No. Uh, anyway, all right, do you have, uh, did I take more to turn to? We can go anywhere, the Bible's all good, right? Uh, but let's go to John chapter 2. Okay, John chapter 2. I have three children. Um, I have a son who is uh, my youth pastor. Uh, he works with me full time in ministry. I have uh, twin daughters. Twins. No training course or nothing. Just boom, there they were. <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> it was it shock. Uh, boy, it was a shock, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, one of my girls is um, the uh, administrator of our elementary school in our Christian school. And my other daughter, uh, Mary just Bonehead. Um, <laughs> and he moved, now you see why I call, call him a bonehead. He moved her to Orlando, Florida. Yeah, that's over a thousand miles from where I live. So I'm never going to forgive him. <laughs> promise you that. All right. So, and then I have eight grandchildren. How many of you have grandchildren? Raise your hand. Aren't they better than your own kids? Be <laughs> honest, they are, aren't they? They're so much better than your own kids. You can get those grandkids, give them candy, sugar them up, get them bouncing all over the house, and then say, good night. <laughs> Hand them back to mom. I don't know how many times my son has looked at me and said, thanks, Dad. <laughs> we got to take them home and try to knock them out, put them to sleep. You've got them all full of sugar, and that's going to be a job. But uh, anyway, my, uh, my one daughter said, Dad, you've got to quit spoiling these grandchildren. I said, no. 
She has three, and, and I just spoil them to death. I mean, anything they want, and they know it. Uh, one of my granddaughters, my daughter's daughter, she calls me, are you familiar with uh, PayPal? PayPal? That's what she calls me. <laughs> And uh, they think they think I'm rich. I'm not rich, but I buy anything and everything they want. I spoil them rotten. Of course, it's hard to spoil something that was born rotten, right? <laughs> That'll preach right there. All right, let's uh, stand together, please. You'll stand with me as we read the Word of God. Familiar passage of scripture, very familiar. All of you, I'm sure, will know this, this passage. Let me begin reading in verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, right? Now let me stop right there. Today, in the English language, we would say, and when they lacked, L-A-C-K-E-D, lacked, when they had none. All right, you understand what it is? Uh, you know, we say, uh, uh, David said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I always used to say to my mother, when she would sit down with me as a child and read the Bible to me, and she would have me memorize scripture, and I would, I, I looked at her one day, I was about probably five, and uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I stopped her and I said, Mom, I don't get that. Why wouldn't I want the Lord? She goes, oh, no, no, no. No. If you have Christ, you have no wants. You've got everything in Him. All right? So you have no wants. And that's the same uh, application that is in verse 3. When they wanted, wanted wine. All right? So... They ran out. They didn't have any. They needed some. They lacked wine. Okay? The mother of Jesus, and there's twice that's given. You know, in the Gospel of John, Mary was never called Mary. She's always the mother of Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? All right? So when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have... No wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants. All right, now think now with me. Think. All right. I want you to visualize this. Would you put yourself in the room where you can see this going down? It happening. Okay, so they ran out of wine. Mary turns to Jesus and says they have no wine. Jesus says, 
uh, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And without blinking, all right, without even blinking, Mary turns to the, to the servants who are serving for the marriage feast and says to those guys, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Wouldn't it be nice if some people in Washington, D.C. would just say, um, uh, hey, uh, Pastor Norris, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, what, what do you think we ought to do? Well, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know? Instead of all this garbage they're pushing down our throats now. Alright? So, so, Mary just turns Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now watch carefully here. Verse 6. And there were set there. What's the next word? Six. Isn't it interesting that in verse 6, there were, we are introduced to six water pots. All right? Six. Not five, not eight. Six. Six is always the number of man in the Bible. Depraved man at that. Alright? So there were set there six water pots of stone. Now watch, comma. After the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now let me just interject here. Two or three firkins is about a hundred gallons. Alright, so these are big water pots. They're not little tiny pots. They're big water pots. Each one, there's six of them, each one contains about a hundred gallons of water. That's a lot of water, would you agree? Alright, just making sure you understood that. Alright, read on. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Are you watching this in your mind's eye? Jesus said, Fill these six water, pull those water pots out. They pull them out, fill them up to the brim with water. All right, do you see that in your mind's eye? All right, read on. It says, uh, and, uh, and they filled them up to the brim. Verse 8, and he saith unto them, draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they, the servants, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the, the water, that was made wine, comma, and knew not whence it was that the servants which drew, uh, but the servants which drew the water knew. All right, now concentrate on that. So when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and the ruler of the feast knew not 
Jesus says, seldom full of what? Water. All right, everybody come to church, okay? Jesus said, fill the water pots full of water. And once full, draw out now. So they've got a tray with cups or glasses or something on it. They take a little dipper, dip the water out, pour it in the glasses. Then they carry, they transport, they take the water that was in the cups, in the water pots, then in the cup. And somewhere, all right, think, somewhere between the, the poured out water and getting it to the governor of the feast, the water became wine. All right, everybody see that? All right, we're going. Read on. The sermon's going to preach itself here. I'm not even going to have to say anything. You're going to get it here. I look at verse, uh, where were we leave off? Verse uh, 9. It says, And the governor of peace called the bridegroom and saith unto him, verse 10, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, all right, it's not saying when men have gotten drunk. It means when they have filled up with the juice. All right, and I'll say more about that in a bit. But he said when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou, remember now, the feast had been going on and they ran out. So they had already served all of the wine they had. And so the bridegroom, uh, or the, uh, uh, the governor of the feast, he says to the bridegroom, he said, man, you know, this is some kind of a feast you're throwing here. You know, most people, they put the good stuff, the fresh stuff out, men drink it, and then they go to the poor stuff, to the old juice, that which had that little bitterness to it, or that, that, the, the uh, pulp is still in it, or it's just not as good as this fresh stuff. But you have set the fresh stuff out. All right, now watch. Watch. He said, and when men have well drunk in the middle of verse 10, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. All right, now, we can't stop at verse 10. All right, let's, let's look at verse 11. This beginning of miracles. What's beginning mean? Huh? The starting point, the first one. This beginning of miracles. We all know that this was the first miracle that Jesus performed, right? Sure, that's what we know. All right, so it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. Why? And manifested forth his glory, comma, why? And the disciples believed on him. 
You see, this was not done for all the people at the wedding feast. This was done for the disciples. It's the first one. And he is doing this for the disciples. Well, why is he doing it for them? So they, they will see through this miracle what he is all about. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. Father, I pray you'll bless now as we open the word of God and look at its truth. Father, thank you for this miracle that was done. And it seems like the disciples just, they never got over it, especially John. John never got over this miracle being done. He mentions it a few times throughout the rest of the book. And so, Father, I pray you'll help us to realize the importance and help us to see the picture that this miracle shows us. Help me as I preach. Bless the folks as they listen. Give us ears to hear. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Alright, folks, we all know that the Lord Jesus was a master teacher. Alright? He would take little, simple, everyday things and he would use them to make tremendous Bible truth. I mean, he would use things like birds. He would use things like a fig tree. Alright? Just little simple things. But he would teach great truths uh, through these little, simple, everyday, ordinary things. Now, one of the, one of the most amazing things is, is the fact that the Lord spent three and a half years preparing his disciples for the day when he would leave them he would go to the Mount of Olives and he would give them the Great Commission and there as they stood and watched him go up and a cloud received him out of their sight and they're standing there looking and watching and, and probably did not want to turn away. And so two men, read your Bible, I know everybody said, oh, it was angels. No, the Bible says two men. You, you don't believe me. Look at it when you get home. Don't do it now. Alright? Don't do it now. Two men came and said, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not another one, this same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. And so, they're standing there looking, and they now have the responsibility of doing the ministry that they have been trained and taught to do for the last three and a half years. Now, what was that ministry? Well, it was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. Don't you think 
If you're the Lord Jesus and you're, a, you're the master teacher, don't you think that the first miracle, the first miracle that you would do to move these disciples and to convince them that you are who you claim to be, the eternal son of the living God, don't you think that first miracle would be something that would just, boom, blow them out of the water? Huh? I would think so. I mean, if I, if I wanted to, to uh, impress uh, my grandkids with something, I mean, I would make it big. I would make it big. And uh, we were fishing one uh, about, uh, I think it was uh, June or July of this last, this last summer. That's summer for us, June and July. And uh, we, were, we were fishing in, in a, a pond that belongs to a church member, uh, one of my church members, and they have a catfish that big. They're like 30 to 40 inches long. Catfish, strong. Man, you get one of those on the line and it is a war getting that thing in. They have, they have bass, smallmouth bass that are about that big. They are really fun to catch. And so we were out there fishing and all, all I'm doing is baiting hooks. I mean, I'm just baiting hooks, you know. I'm pulling hooks out of the furniture. I'm pulling hooks out of clothing. You know, there are there are fishing poles, you hear that noise going and I'm ducking and trying to get out of the way. And I turn around and they're just having a blast. And so finally got all of them out in the, in the lake at the same time. And I took the pole that was left and I put a, a worm on that thing and threw it out. And as soon as that thing hit the water, a catfish about 38 inches long hit that thing, and it was on. Now, I mean, 45 to 50 minutes, just standing there fighting that thing. Now, all the others were catching fish about that big. And Grandpa comes along, and he catches a fish that big. Man, it moved them. They were all going home and said, boy, can anybody fish? I come off and fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I just went, thank you, Lord, thank you. <laughs> you know, wouldn't you think that our Lord's first miracle would just be, wow. Well, that's what this was. That's what this was. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Joe? Uh, all right. Joe, could you turn water into wine? No. What's your name, Tony? Lim? Could you turn water into wine? Couldn't do it, could you? I mean, you wouldn't even try, would you? No. Why? Because you can't do it. Right. How about you? Could you turn water into wine? No? Huh. How about you? No, truth is, none of us can. We can't do that. 
Hey, the disciples and all those at the wedding feast, they knew there was man could not do that. But Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And they're all standing around watching. They never got over that. It just, why did you say? Did he turn water into wine? Yeah, he did. He didn't even touch it. There was no abracadabra, hocus pocus, you know, none of that. Amazing, isn't it? So I got to thinking about this about this story. The first miracle. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a sermon in there. I mean, you'd think there would be, wouldn't you? So I said, I said, okay, Lord, I'm gonna sit here and think about this. So I started looking and thinking and reading what others had to say. Couldn't find anybody that even wanted to touch it. They just all said, yeah, wasn't that a great miracle? Commentators. They don't know. They ship it. Go right over. And just about everybody in my office in, in those books went over. And I was laying in bed a couple of days later and it hit me. This parable, this story, this thing that happened, this first miracle, shows us something very important. I think that it shows us, now remember, in three and a half years, Jesus is going to go back to heaven and leave them here by themselves. All right? And I think that once the Holy Spirit came and opened their understanding. They realized what the story was all about. And here's what I think it is. I think that this first miracle shows us the man or woman, the man, the kind of person that God used. You say, uh, what do you mean, preacher? All right, let's let's think about this for a minute. Okay, okay. Look, look, look at the look at the story here. All right. Uh, Mary says, look at verse five. It says, uh, His mother saith unto the servant, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Do it. All right. So what did he say? Well, there were six water pots. Of, uh, of stone, right? Made out of rock. All right, they 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 chiseled away a big rock and made a water pot, and there were six of them. And so Jesus says, "Set those water pots out here." All right, so they take the water pots and they move them out into the field of view. Six earthen water pots. They don't mean 
They're not worth much. They're not worth much. You say, well, what, what was the deal with them? Well, we know that the scriptures teach us that these water pots were used ceremonially. All right? You remember under the law, there were all these rites and rituals they had to do. When you went to the tabernacle, when the priest went into the holy place and they went to do something like change the bread on the table of showbread or change the oil in the candlestick, when they went in to do anything, before they could do anything, they had to stop and wash their hands and their feet. Alright, so they walk in. First thing they do, stop at the labor and wash their hands and their feet. Then they go about their business. And then when they finish, they come back and they wash their hands and their feet. That was a ceremonial rite that was commanded by God that the priests do. And what God was saying with that is this. Hey, if you're going to serve me, you've got to be a clean vessel. You've got to be right with God if you want to serve him. You see, and that's why, I mean, everything they did, they could not go in, wash one time, and then do two different jobs. No. No. You did. You washed. You did one job. You came back and you washed before you did anything else. You could not leave there without first washing your hands and your feet. You had to. It was the right. It was the rule. It was the guideline. It was what God said. So why did you do all that? To show that we have to be clean as we serve the Lord. Alright? It's just that simple. It's, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it was a ceremonial thing according to the Levitical law. Now, uh, the picture is as plain as it can be. And God was teaching that if you are to come into his presence, this matter of sin has to be taken care of. All right? It has to be. And this, there must be a cleansing of the heart and of the life if we're going to serve the Lord. It just has to be. And this cleansing ritual, after a while, Israel grew. They expanded. And it was difficult for folks to get, even though the tabernacle was in the center of the country. I mean, it was difficult for them to get to the tabernacle. And so what they would do is they would have water pots in their homes. And the dad of the home, the patriarch in the home, was the high priest of the family. And so as the high priest of the family, dad would say, kids, come in, sit down. Uh, you know, everybody else come in, sit 
and he would take the pots, put water in them, and he would wash his hands, wash his feet, then take the Torah, the law, and read it to his family and pray. All right, just like you have a family altar in your home, well, today we're clean in Christ. All right, the matter of sin is taken away. It's all. Okay, so we don't have to stop and wash every day. Aren't you glad? Hey, aren't you glad you don't have to get a lamb and take it somewhere to a priest and have its throat slit and its blood drained out of its body? I know I am thankful for that. Man, I, they, they tell me, I don't know how true this is, but they tell me that I have uh, like uh, 4,800 church members, 4,800 church members. We're running 4,800. We're only catching about 800 of them. All right, you know what I mean? We got them running everywhere. I cannot go anywhere in Westminster without, hey, pastor, hey, pastor. Yeah, I mean, man, well, you don't have to do all that today. Christ is our Passover. You see, his blood has washed us clean. John said, behold, the Lamb of God, not a Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to get the Hebrews to quit being Hebrews. Okay? So you don't ever forget that, right? And, the, and in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, it says that it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All it did was cover. It made an atonement. But when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb, the, that takes away the sin of the world. That's awesome. I mean... When I got saved, when you got saved, Matthew, Matthew, when you got saved, you are saved, okay. Uh, when you got saved, God washed all of your sins away. You said, where'd they go? Who cares? They're gone. Who cares where they went? Man. I think it was Micah, he said that God has subdued our sin. And they're gone, gone. That's why we sing a little song in Sunday school. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Aren't you Amen. I am. Praise the Lord. Alright, so you don't have to do all that today. You see, this word will cleanse you. Alright? Everybody see that now? The water pots. Here's the point, folks. This is where God begins with us. You see, these old, empty, beaten water pots represent you and me. They represent you and me. And folks, if you are going to be uh, used of God, you have to first see yourself as nothing more than an 
to be used of God, get yourself out of the way. Alright? Get yourself hey. out of the way. Hey. And God will use you. We're just old, empty water pots. You know what I find amazing? Alright, ladies, let me ask you this question. Guys, dip it. Alright? No comments from the men. Alright, ladies, help me with this. Who is the most important person, object, thing, in any marriage?
46 years. Let me give you a verse. Do you know this verse? Psalm 119. One, no, 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 no. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. <laughs> Psalm 119. 165. Now you can cheat. All right? Here's what it says. Great peace have they which love thy law. All right? Now get ready for this next part because there's no period there. See that on the board? There's no period there, is there? No. And comma. And nothing. You say, well, I wonder what the, what the Hebrew word nothing means. All right, you ready? Nothing. That's what it means. Amen. Great peace have they which love thy law. Listen, folks. On a Sunday, any given Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, on a Wednesday, any given Wednesday night, I can barely get from my to the pulpit without somebody coming up to me, Pastor. Oh, Pastor, I'm going to change my name. I'm so tired of hearing that whine, 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 cry, cry, cry. Nothing shall offend them. I've had them walk up to me in the lobby of the church and say, you said, and, and then they tell me what I said, and, and then they, they want me to respond, so I just look at it. <laughs> and so I'm standing there just looking at them, and they don't know what to do. Just like you don't know what to do. <laughs> you said, why are you offended? Did I offend you? Well, let me suggest you go read Psalm 119, <laughs> That's why I say that our people do not read their Bible. Everybody's offended today. Right. Oh, I'm offended. Well, get over it. <laughs> you know, I don't like that. Well, as far as I can see, nobody likes for your opinion. <laughs> Amen. Are you with me on that? You understand what I'm saying? We don't read the book. Folks, lose yourself in this book. Turn that computer off. Turn that iPad off. Turn that television set off. Turn that stereo system off. And open your Bible and learn the Word of God. All right, look here. You know, one of these days, and it's coming, just as sure as where you're sitting and I'm standing, it's coming. We're going to be in heaven, walking down the streets of gold. Oh, everything's grand and glorious, isn't it? And we're going to see some guy walking towards us, and he's going to stop us, and he's going to say, Hey, my brother, good to see you, Matthew. How are you? Good, good, good. My name is Hosea. I wrote a book in the Bible. Matthew, did you read it? 
It's water. Alright, think now. They dip it out. It's water. They pour it in the cup. It's water. You with me? And they get them all full. And then, in the transmission of the water of the Word, the water of the Word becomes the wine, the joy of salvation. Alright? You see that? Man, that's vital in it right there, isn't it? You say, well, I've never seen anybody saved. Well, you can't walk around looking all pious and spiritual and expect folks to get saved. You've got to give them the word of God. Amen. you got to give them the gospel. Now, I told you that, I'm going to explain this to you. This is not alcohol. Please understand that. This is not alcohol. When he turned the water into wine, it was not alcohol. That's right. It was juice. There is not a word in the Greek language to cover juice. They called it all wine. There was old wine, which was the intoxicating kind, and there was new wine, which had not fermented yet. All right, now, question. When the Lord Jesus served the Passover meal to the disciples and instituted what we call the Lord's table, do you remember what kind of bread he used? Unleavened bread. Yes, now what does that mean? Do you know what that means? No fermentation. It's like a saltine cracker. No fermentation. They're flat. Flat. Because there's no yeast. There's no fermentation. And it does not rise. Alright now. Follow me. If Jesus could have no fermentation in his bread. That he served to the disciples for the Lord's table. Then he could have no fermentation in his wine. Because the yeast in the bread is the same principle as fermentation in the wine. Folks, our Savior was not a wine bibber. He was not a drunkard. You know, and I've had preachers want to argue this with me. You know what I want to do? Yes. <laughs> that's what I want to do. Increase your love, of course. <laughs> but that's what I want to do. I just feel like sometimes thinking, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, you're nuts. You're going to stand in front of your church and tell your church people that it's okay to drink wine? Are you nuts? Man, you're going to have to give an account of that. That's right. All right, now, listen. Wine in the Bible is always a picture of joy. 
Always a picture of joy. So watch. Move the water pots out. This is a man God uses. Empty. Empty. We gotta be empty. Get rid of yourself. You gotta be empty. Fill them up with water. Water, picture of the word of God. Draw out now. Draw it out. And somewhere you serve that now, and as they serve it, somewhere in the transmission, the water of the word becomes the wine of salvation. Alright? Hey folks, listen. You want some joy? I, I, I in 46 years I cannot tell you how many people have said, Pastor, I need to come and see you. Oh yeah, why? Oh, I'm so depressed. Well, what are you depressed about? Oh, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I know there's such a thing as clinical depression. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that are just they need some help. But it's spiritual help they need. Not, not a medication of some kind. They need spiritual help. They need the joy that comes from serving Jesus. Listen, you want some joy? I'll tell you how to get it. Go win somebody to Christ. And you'll come back rejoicing. Bringing the seed with it. Alright, one illustration and then I'll close. Everybody see the point? That's the man God uses. That's the man God uses. Emptiness filled to the brim with water, the word of God. Draw it out. You can't draw it out. You don't put it in. Alright? And in the transmission, the water of the word becomes the wine of salvation. One illustration. Several years ago, uh, uh, Dr. Smith, the editor of the Sword, and I went to preach a Sword conference down in uh, Houston, Texas. Houston. And I could not get a direct flight to Houston. I had to go to Atlanta, and from Atlanta to Houston. Well, I got up that morning just before I left and I turned on the weather channel to see if there was any weather across the country. And there was not a drop of rain anywhere except this big red blob right over Houston, Texas. That means it was pouring the rain down there. Thunder, lightning, storms galore. Oh, great. That's exactly where I'm headed. So I got on the plane, and as I was going down the road, going down the road to get on the plane, I prayed this little prayer. I said, Lord, put somebody beside of me that needs Christ, needs to be saved. My secretary always got my seat arrangements for me, and I like to sit right in front of the wing, and I like to sit by the window in seat A. That's what I prefer. Now, if somebody's in my seat, I get real 
take it. <laughs> All right, no. <laughs> but, so I'm praying on the way down. Lord, put somebody in 12B that needs to be saved. So I got on the airplane and I have, so, you know, miles to this airline so that uh, I get to board first. So I got on the plane, I'm sitting there, and I said, okay, Lord, put somebody right here that needs to be saved. So I'm sitting there watching folks get on. And I see somebody coming, this guy coming, and he had a scowl on his face. You know, it looked like he's mad at the world. Uh, man, that guy needs to get saved. But he went right on by me. Sat on back there somewhere. And then this woman gets on. And she is, she is smiling from ear to ear. And I thought, wow, this, this woman's happy. Maybe, maybe the Lord will put her here. No, no, she walked on by. Then a teenager got on, about 18, 19 years old. Have you ever seen these kids in America? You know, you know what a tackle box is, right? You know what a tackle box is? A box where you take where you put all your fishing gear in, all right, your lures and all that stuff. Well, this kid looked like he had tripped and fallen into a tackle box. All right? I mean, he had piercings here and stuff hanging out his nose. He had a bull ring in his nose. I, you know, if I had come home with one of them, my dad would have said, come here, son. Grab me by the bullring and took me outside and showed me that men should not be wearing earrings yeah. or nose rings. Yeah. And so when I saw that, I thought, man, that kid needs to say, look at that. That's scary. <laughs> but he walked on by. Well, then it kind of jammed up. You know how, how they, they jam up? And everybody's just you know, standing there, I'm trying to look, I can't see. And then all of a sudden, they began to move. And standing there was this guy, about six foot two. Tall guy. How tall are you? Six what? Four. <laughs> you got some growing to do, bro. <laughs> right? You got some growing to do. He's got you, man. <laughs> He's the youngest. He's the oldest. <laughs> all right, so so all of a sudden, it's just like the parting of the Red Sea, you know? And standing right there was this Episcopalian priest. <laughs> He's got his pajamas on. He's got his collar turned around backwards. How do you do that? <laughs> He had this great big medallion around his neck. And he comes over and he says, is this 12? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> well, it was. So he plopped down. We taxied out, got up in the air. He leans over. I'm wearing a suit because I figure I have to go from the airport right straight to church. So I'm, I got a suit on. And he looks over and he says, My girl dressed up. 
And I said, wait, awful? <laughs> what do you mean by awful? And he said, you know, I mean, you're really dressed up. I said, oh, okay. He said, what, what, are, what do you do? Are you a lawyer? <laughs> what an insult. <laughs> you know what you call a lawyer buried up to, in the sand to hear? Not enough sand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, no, I said, I'm a preacher. He said, so am I. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah. Well, that's great. I said, what kind of preacher are you? He said, I'm, a, I'm an Episcopalian. I said, well, that's that sounds serious. Is there a medication you can take? <laughs> well, he laughed a little bit, you know. And he said, well, what kind of preacher are you? And I said, well, normally, loud and long. <laughs> I said, no, I'm an independent Baptist. He said, you know, my friends and I had a lunch the other day, and we were talking about you independent Baptists wondering what you believe. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like lava right over the plate. Bang! I reached out, got my Bible out of my, out of my briefcase, out of my shoulder case, laid that little tray down, laid that Bible down, and I said, I can show you what we believe. Just a couple minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. So I started in the book of Romans. I told him, I said, sir, listen, this Bible, I could take, it has 66 books in it. I could take this Bible, go to any book, show you how, what I'm about to show you. But this simplifies it. So let me just simplify it for you. Here's what we believe. And I started in Romans 3.10 and worked my way all the way through Romans 10.13. As if we were going, you know how folks will want to stop you and argue? Well, what about, what about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? <laughs> I want the first place angels don't dance. You know? And I said, sir, do you know of a time 
or a place where you humbled yourself before the Lord and you repented of your sin and asked him to be your Savior? He thought for a moment, he said, no. No, I don't think I know that. I said, well, look at what it says right here. And so I said, now, sir, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, put your hand in mine. That big old man took that big old mitt, dropped it down in my hand, and I prayed and asked the Lord to give him faith and help him to see his need to be saved from his sin. And I said, now, sir, if you'd like to trust the Lord right now, as your Savior, I want you to pray with me this simple little prayer. But now you're not praying to me. You're praying to God. And I want you to mean it from your heart. He said, all right. I said, all right. So I led him in the sinner's prayer. When we finished praying, he looked at me and I looked at him. Big old tears were streaming down his cheeks. He said, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, what else can you say? He said, how did you put all that together like that? And I said, here's the practice, sir. No, I said, it makes sense, doesn't it? He goes, yes. He said, I can't wait till Sunday so I can share this with my people. Amen. And I said, well, good luck with that. <laughs> you know? And I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out a little gospel track. And I, I gave it to him, and I said, sir, I want you to take this. This has all those verses that I just showed you. And I'm, I want you just to take this home, get you a Bible. I said, do you have a Bible? He said, yeah, I do. I said, is it a King James Bible? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, then throw that one away and go get you a King James Bible. And he said, okay. Okay. And so I gave him this track, and I said, now, here's your sermon on Sunday. I said, point one. You have sinned against God. Romans 3, 23. He goes, oh, there's four points to this sermon. I said, yep, right there. Yep, four points. He said, I can do that. I said, here you go. We got out. We stopped in Atlanta. He was getting off. I was going, I was staying on the plane going on to Houston. You know how when you get out, you know, you, you stop and you let, you step backwards. Well, he stepped backwards, but I wasn't getting off the plane. And so he stepped backwards and he said, he went like this. And I said, well, I'm not getting off. He said, so I got up and I leave. Have you ever been hugged by a man wearing his pajamas in front of 280 other people? I have. But I'm telling you, it was awesome. I went off that plane when I got to Houston. I could not wait to tell Dr. Smith what I had. I couldn't wait. You, wanted, you want some joy? 
lead somebody to Christ. That'll bring the joy to your soul. That'll bring the joy to your soul. Let's pray. Father, never we love you tonight. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I pray you'll bless what's been said tonight. Give us understanding of the man that God uses. Help us to see that we are to be nothing more than just empty vessels that you can use. Then, Father, help us to fill ourselves with your eternal word. Bless your word. Father, help us to fill our pots to the brim. And then we can draw out. And somewhere in the transmission, the water of the word becomes the joy of salvation. Father, bless your word, we pray. Strengthen us in. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if God spoke into your heart tonight, you say, Preacher, I need be a man God uses or a woman God uses. I want to be a person that God uses. Preacher, pray for me tonight. Would you slip your hand up all over this room and let God, let God touch your heart tonight. Let God do something for you tonight. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. God bless you. Rachel, God bless you. Thank you. Alright, I'm going to ask Yes, to come please and play a song. We'll not sing it, but I'll just have him play an invitation to him. Let's all stand to our feet while he prepares. Father, we thank you now for what you've done in our hearts. And I pray that you will touch the heart of every person tonight who raise their hand. Father, give us, I pray, a burdened heart to want to be a man or a woman. You can use. Father, help us to take what we've heard and apply it and use it in our lives. This is not just for the pastor. This is not just for the preacher, for the evangelist, for the missionary. Father, this is for all of us who know you as our Savior. So speak our hearts, we ask, in Jesus' name. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Let me ask you to raise your hand. Would you step out right now and come? Get alone with the Lord for a couple of moments and just tell him what's on your heart. Lord, I want you to, to use me. I want to be a man or a woman that God uses for me. Would you come?
think that's kind of new and um, also we'll uh, have someone praying for the Lord's Prayer. And come back tomorrow at 9 o'clock, uh, 8.30, uh, all is open.